0: You're free to go at this time, and while you're going, I just want to remind the church of a couple of upcoming events. Of course, you can always go to our website, seemechurch.org. There's a number of things going on all the time. One of the ones I want to highlight, though, is the Father's Day Pancake Breakfast, always an event near and dear to my heart, and I appreciate those that volunteer to do that. It's going to be an awesome time. We're going to do it right here, uh, right before church. It's going to be great. Uh, Also, um, the high school and legends champs meeting that's the first one on the list there uh, we've gone through a transition with our high school and legends ministry uh, the the champs that we had the hicks have done a tremendous job and uh they are heroes to our church and to the kids uh, they're going to be stepping out because they want to do a different role in the, in the church. And so we're looking for people who have an interest or a passion to work with kids in that age range, age, junior high to high school. We also thank all of the people that serve in that ministry now. We're going to be meeting tomorrow night at the Garces home. Uh, anyone's welcome to come that might be interested in wanting to serve in some capacity in that ministry. You can always go again to our website, the link for the address and everything's there. And we we'll look forward to uh, seeing you if you want to want to come and be a part of that. All right, so at this time, we're going to transition into the lesson. Now, last week, we had uh, Greg Lotain, our newest appointed elder. He came out, did a great job sharing with us from his life about building on rock or on solid ground. But today, we're going to be going back to our series, uh, Jeremiah, the branch of an almond tree. So there was this woman, and uh, she had a baby. And she asked the doctor, is everything okay? And the doctor said to her, well there's some complications and the woman said oh my gosh I mean what's wrong doc I mean you got to tell me what what's happened what's gone wrong here and he said well first off your baby's okay but unfortunately he has no arms or legs and she said oh my gosh I mean that's that's tragic said but you know my husband and I we We've been wanting to have children and we are, we're prepared for anything. We told ourselves, no matter what happens, we're going to love this baby. And the doctor says, well, that's not the only bad news. There's another complication. And she said, well, doc, what is it? He said, well, he has no body. She stopped and she said, no body. I can't, I can't even imagine that. That just seems impossible. But again, we doesn't matter we're going to love our baby And he says, well, there's another thing. And she said, what what else could be going on? And he said, well, he actually has no head. She said, no head? How in the world can I have a baby with no arms, no body, no legs, and no head? And he said, well, ma'am, your son is an ear. She said, an ear? He said, yes, he's an ear. And she said, well, okay, we promise to love this child no matter what. Is there anything else? And he said, oh, one more thing. He's hard of hearing. You know, none of us like to get bad news. And it's even worse when there's bad news on top of bad news. But sometimes God gives us bad news. And he wants us to be able to handle it. We're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 2. We're going to go all the the way to chapter 3, verse 5. Now, it's a lot of reading. We may not even get through it all. We may just stop partway through. Because it isn't easy reading. It's, It's prophetic in nature. In other words, there's a lot of colorful language. Not only that, it's kind of poetic in its style. And so there's a lot of imagery and meaning that we have to sort of glean Not only that, but there's a whole difference of time and culture that we have to cross. I mean, Jeremiah prophesied 3,000 some odd years ago in in a culture that's totally different than, than the culture we live in today, very different in every way. And so when we read a prophecy like Jeremiah, we have to go through it carefully to make sure that we understand the imagery and the symbolism and we draw the meaning out of that. And then we are able to understand what Jeremiah was trying to say to his people in his time. And once we understand that, then we can understand what maybe the message for us in our time is. I promise if we stick with it, if you stay with me, there's a lot you're going to learn about how to receive bad news. There's a lot you're going to learn about God and the nature of God and how he views things Some of it might surprise you. He may not be the God that you think of When you read a book like jeremiah But if we stay with it We go through it slowly I think we'll be able to draw out any relevant information And I really believe that it will encourage you in your faith even in the face of of bad news let's go to god in prayer father it is so great to come together thank you for our worship and just having that time uh, each week to turn our attention to you and to praise you and then to commune with you we truly do swim in an ocean of mercy and grace What a beautiful song, and I pray, God, that we walk out of here today encouraged by just the worship, if nothing else, but God, I also pray that you open up our hearts, help us to listen intently to your word. Let your word speak to us, because we know, God, that you want to speak to us, that you are speaking to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. Jeremiah's primary audience was the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Now, i got to make a point here that God often refers to the people of Judah and Jerusalem as Israel. And that is a little confusing from time to time because there was a nation of Israel that had existed about 100 years prior to Jeremiah's calling. But it had been destroyed by the Assyrian Empire. Now, that nation came into existence because it was part of this of, it, was the, it was made up of the 12 tribes of Israel. And that, that, that northern half of, the, of the, the, those, the, 10 of those tribes that were in, in the north separated from the two tribes in the south, which were called Benjamin and Judah. And they formed two nations, the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. So God, when he looks at this, he calls them all Israel from time to time. And, and in his mind, they're all one people, even though that one nation had been destroyed and it's just helpful to know when we read the Bible that when he says Israel he's talking about all the people that were the sons or the offspring of a man named Israel who had 12 sons and they were the 12 tribes and they formed this great nation then it split and then here we are in Jeremiah's day with the only part of that nation that was left the two tribes in the south which were called Judah and so when you hear God say, Judah or Israel, he's basically meaning the same thing, except sometimes when he's not. And that's just sometimes how it goes when you read the Bible. Now, in the first part of this prophecy, God is speaking through Jeremiah, and he's making this heartfelt appeal to the people, and he's drawing their attention to er the early days of his relationship with them some 800 years prior when they were slaves in egypt and then god had you know uh the exodus had occurred and he had led them out of egypt and god describes that time with great fondness and he he says don't you remember those days when you were so devoted to me now if any of you are familiar with the bible and if you're not i'll help you with this if you go back and read the history of the people as they were being exodus out of egypt they were anything but devoted i mean right off the bat they wanted to turn around and go back then after that they complained about no food and water then after that they rebelled against their leader moses and then ultimately they made a calf at one point and worshiped an idol while they were out there And then they refused to go into the promised land when God led them to the promised land. And an entire generation of them passed away in the desert, never having realized God's great plan for them. Yet God looks back at that time in their history and he says, you were so devoted to me. (laughs) How is that even possible? I'm a father. Ask any parent in this room about their children and when they were toddlers little babies what do we say oh they were they were awesome (laughs) they were the best i know i mean they were just it was so they were huggable and they were so sweet and kind and we don't say anything about the poopy diaper and the wet bed and the spilt milk right we don't we don't say anything about that or think about two people in love and they talk about them each other and early on in their relationship and and it's all roses They don't notice the bad habits or the bad hygiene. They they overlook all that stuff. Because that's what love does. It causes us to to have feelings of fondness for someone in spite of their failings. And that's exactly how God felt about the people of Judah, Israel, whichever word you want to use. That's how he felt about them. He overlooked all. All. Of their failings Their shortcomings Their sins Because he had such love For them That is something that we have to hold on to When we go through this study of Jeremiah That God loves his children We have to hold on to it Because in Jeremiah There's a lot of correcting that goes on In the prophecies there's a lot of condemnation. There's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of consequence And so there's this point that we have to understand and we have to get okay with this right now Or you're going to struggle through this entire series And the point is this That even though god loves you and he loves you unconditionally and he loves you in spite of you He still holds you responsible For your actions Parents still discipline their kids. Lovers will chastise their beloved. I mean, it's what love does. Love doesn't just ignore bad behavior and not expect it to be better. That's not love. And so, we do in our culture today have to understand that the definition of love here is a little different than maybe what we hear in the world around us, where love is just open acceptance regardless of what you, how someone may behave. Or think or or act or whatever but that is not the definition of love in the bible god loved his children even though he had to chastise them even though they had to face the consequences of their sin he still holds us accountable verse 4 hear the word of the lord you descendants of jacob all you clans of israel this is what the lord says what fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the the, the barren wilderness? Through a land of desert and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. And so what went wrong in the history of the people of Israel? Well, over time, they became followers of idols. They had this great and wonderful God who led them out of Egypt And into the promised land. And they thrived in that promised land for generations. And then there was a civil war and the nations split. And and, and that was the beginning of the end. The northern kingdoms began going down roads that they shouldn't have gone down. They began abandoning their God and worshiping idols. And they were eventually destroyed. And here we are in the tribe of Judah. In the last remaining remnant of those people. And they are following the same pattern of the northern tribes. For a couple hundred years now they have been going down the same failed road. And Jeremiah was coming to tell them that enough was enough. That there's a time of reckoning. It doesn't mean God didn't love them. It doesn't mean God didn't love the northern tribe, which had already been destroyed. But because he loved them, God was now disciplining them. He was now chastising them. And he says this line in verse 5, they followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves have you ever heard the phrase you are what you eat shout it out what does it mean popsicles a pasta shout it out anyone just shout it out if you eat bad stuff, bad. You eat bad stuff your body won't be healthy or you'll be bad wait, wait how'd you say it if you eat bad stuff you'll be bad you said it like that right say it again Okay, so if you eat bad stuff or you do bad things, bad things are going to happen, right? We get that. It makes total sense. Well, did you know that according to God, you are what you worship? If you worship bad stuff, you're going to have bad stuff come out of you. And in this case, the Israelites began worshiping worthless idols. And as a result of their, their worship... And as a result, their worship was worthless before God. And he says this line in verse 6, they did not ask, where is the Lord? Apparently, in the course of time, they stopped wanting to know about their God. And eventually, they forgot about him. Verse 8 tells us, That even the priests, the teachers, the leaders, the prophets, they also stopped asking, where is the Lord? And worse yet, they started looking at the nations around them and asking, well, what do they believe? And what are they doing? What's everyone else doing? They embraced alternative narratives they embraced false beliefs of the pagan nations around them and this happened over time the bible tells us in another section that it got so bad that just prior to jeremiah's calling the actual bible itself they had scrolls back then the actual scrolls of the written words of god were lost could you could you imagine imagine if every Bible in the United States got misplaced I mean how far from God would we have gotten to to get to that point to well, we don't even know where the Bible is anymore we can't even find it that was the spiritual condition of the nation of Judah when God called him to come and prophesy when it comes to faith in God if you don't ask you don't know. If you don't know, you can't live. And if you aren't living, you will lose it. And that's exactly the situation Judah found themselves in. And it was the first bit of bad news that God was bringing to them through Jeremiah. You know, I don't know if I'm supposed to be your priest or your teacher or your leader or your prophet, I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm supposed to maybe that's my function, a little bit of all of them. I don't know. But I know one thing. My job is to never stop asking, where is God? Your job as a believer in Jesus Christ or in God the Father is to never stop asking. Where is God? I don't care what's going on in the world around us. We may be the only people in the world in this room. It doesn't matter. We never stop wanting to know about God. You know, I uh, said this before, but we're a small church, and we wear a lot of hats. My wife and I, Kyle, our little ministry staff here, many of you that serve as volunteers, we all have multiple hats because we're a small church. We, we don't have the, the situation where we can just hire this guy or that guy, or we can, we can break up like that. And maybe one day we'll get there, and I hope we do. That would be a tremendous day when we have a, a whole complement of ministry people, and we can, we can meet all the needs effectively. But I can tell you this, that one of the hats I wear, and it's probably, in my opinion, my most important hat, is preaching the word on Sunday. I know that we've come from a culture where, no, it's about uh, handshaking, It's it's about being with the people, it's about rubbing elbows, and there is a huge component. My wife and I need to be in the field, so to speak, with the church. But my first obligation is to be able to preach God's word to you, to preach it accurately, to preach it effectively, and I gotta tell you, I love God's word. Amen. I love it. I love the freedom you extend me to be able to dive into it and to go down odd roads and to do strange series. I don't know what, what, how you feel sometimes about the things I try to do up here. But I love God's word and I love to explore it and I love to dig into it. And I want to know more about it. Amen. Because I feel an intense pressure to bring it to you and to share it with you as best as I possibly can. I know I'm not great, I know I'm not perfect, I know I'm not as good as the rock star sermon people out there, right? There are these people, you know, so they go to speak and thousands come to hear them, that's not me. But I can tell you, I I, I put at least half of my time in my week into every sermon. It may not show, but I'm trying. But you have an obligation in this, and your obligation is to is to ask where the Lord is yourself and to spend your own time, not just relying on what I say, but also digging into the word and getting your own time with God because the temptation to look elsewhere and to see what everybody else is doing is great. And it sneaks up on us. Israel didn't fall apart in a year. We're looking at 800 years of history by the time Judah got to the point that they were at. And even then, God kind of let them be there for a long time before he finally said, okay, enough is enough. So we always have to be asking, where is the Lord? Verse 9. Therefore, I bring charges against you, declares the Lord. And I will bring charges against your children's children. Cross over to the coast of Cyprus and look. Send to Kedar and observe closely. It ha, if there has ever been anything like this, has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are no gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. The first bit of bad news is that they had forsaken their God. The second bit of bad news is that they had begun to place their faith in something other or someone other than their God. And even God, who has an unlimited supply of patience and mercy and grace, even he gets to a point where enough is enough. Like a parent with a bratty child, like a lover with a selfish beloved, there's a point where we say enough is enough. Verse 10, he says to the people, Hey, look as far as you can see. That's that's what he meant by Cyprus and Qadar. Look to the west, look to the east. Look around you. Look as far as you can see. Has any nation ever turned their back on their God like you're turning your back on me? He says, be appalled. You know, the shocking thing is that those pagan nations were more faithful to their God They didn't even think about abandoning their God. And yet Israel, who had the glorious God, was giving him up. That is utterly shocking to think about. Have you ever seen someone? I have. I've seen someone literally drink themselves to death. Beautiful marriage, beautiful spouse, beautiful child, and they turned to alcohol and literally died as a result. I've seen people in my own family turn to substance for decades. You have too. We see it all the time. And it should shock us. It should appall us. Because it should draw our attention to how good and glorious and great our God is. I mean, at some point, we got to realize how good we have it. And maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's what Israel struggled with is they they just had it so good for so long that you get you just start to ignore it you start to take it for granted I, I don't know but it's shocking to think that someone would turn away from the good gracious and glorious God that we serve you know all over the world and locally Christians and even Christian churches as a a whole, are covering crosses. They're deeming large sections of the Bible hate speech. They're censuring ministers for preaching Jesus because they don't want to offend someone else. Now, I'm all for being the best we can be for people. I'm, I'm not saying, let's go out there and be rude and obnoxious to everybody and say we're better than you. That's That's the opposite of what God would want us to do. But to go that far is too far. Some of us are heading off to college. Some of us are in jobs, uh, you know, new jobs maybe. Or some of us are going into new phases of life. And there is going to be a temptation on you. There is going to be a pressure on you to fit into everyone else's version of what you should be. And I want to challenge you now, as young as you might be or as old as you might be, do not conform to the ways of this world. Do not turn your back on the glorious God that you have. Do not take for granted the gifts and the blessings. I know, I know, we get used to them. We do. I was at a restaurant last night. I'm not a huge hockey fan, but I like watching the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I went to this restaurant. I was all excited because they had put new TVs in. I thought, Oh, my wife and I, and Kelly was with us and we could watch the game, have a burger. And the TVs were so new that they didn't know how to use them and they couldn't get the game on tragedy. My faith in God was shot. I mean, do we not have it so easy? it's so easy to forget how great our God is. It's a tragedy of riches. He said they committed two sins. One was that they forsake that slow creep from conviction to capitulation. But two, he says they dug their own cisterns. Now, cisterns, if you don't know, are just holes in the ground. They're not wells, they're holes in the ground, and they're, they're designed to hold water. If you live in the desert, cisterns are important because there's not much water. And so you, you dig a lot of cisterns. In fact, archaeologists in Palestine, they dig up cisterns all the time. They're all over the place because you need water. And so you dig lots of holes in the ground so you can capture water so you have it when there isn't any water. And God says to the Israelites that they traded the living God, the spring that God represented for a cistern. Now, how, why that matters is, is when you think about a cistern, we're not familiar, because we don't, we don't have cisterns, but think of a pool where the filter breaks. What happens to a pool in somebody's backyard when the filter doesn't run for a while? It turns green, it gets stale, it gets stinky. If you're, if you're like Mayan, your pool leaks sorry (laughs) my pool had problems right they're imperfect they're they're not satisfactory uh, things they're really there for survival you would never leave an oasis if you found an oasis you stay at the oasis in the desert you don't leave because you think oh hey there's a cistern over there let's go live by that because they're dirty they're stinky they're stale and they leak They're unsatisfactory, and that is how God feels about the false narratives and false beliefs of the pagan faiths in Jeremiah Day. They were leaky cisterns, and you were leaving a spring of water to go dig your own, and then you were living on that. They had traded the incredible blessing of God For leaky, stinking, stale cisterns. What source of water are you relying on? Is the wisdom, is it the wisdom of the world around you? Or is it the wisdom found in the word of God? Who do you listen more to? Who do you care to know more about? Anything less than the word of God is trading it in for a cistern. Is Israel a servant, verse 14, a slave by birth? Why then has he become plunder? Lions have, ra- ha- have roared. They have growled at him. They have laid waste to his land, his towns, and burned and, and, uh, burned and deserted. Also, the men of Memphis and Tafnins have cracked your skull. Have you not brought this on yourselves by forsaking the Lord your God when he led you in the way? Now why go to Egypt and drink water from the Nile? And why go to Assyria to drink water from the Euphrates? Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me from the very beginning god wanted the best for his people he wants the best for you and i but their faithlessness would lead to their downfall now it's helpful for a little context here to know that the prophecies we read in jeremiah are not necessarily chronological and so as we get into the book we're going to be bouncing around but the first six chapters pretty much are And these first six chapters chapters, take place during the reign of King Josiah. He was the last good king Judah had, and he was a great king. If you want to do any side reading, look up the life of Josiah and read about him. One of my favorite heroes in the Bible. You don't hear much about him, but he was a great king. But, you know, he came at a time where it was uh, honestly too late. For all his best efforts, of trying to turn the people back to God, along with Jeremiah and a number of other prophets who lived at the time, they were unsuccessful. You see, during that time, Assyria was the big power in the region. Egypt was a close second. Babylon was way over in the east, and they were growing, and they were coming. And Jeremiah was prophesying that Babylon was the power you got to look out for, because they're coming, and they're going to kill everybody. They're going to take over everything. But Israel couldn't see that. And so they tended to want to rely on Egypt and Assyria. They kept trying to ally themselves with one or the other because they were thinking, well, these are the two big dogs on the street. Let's join up with them. And then when Babylon comes, the three of us can defeat them. And Jeremiah's like, that is not going to work. Don't do it. And we said this in the first lesson on this series where it's really hard to tell people, repent, but you're not going to escape your punishment. Like, we want to hear repent so you can get escape punishment, right? That, that wasn't Jeremiah's message. His message was repent so it won't be so bad. And the so bad was join up with Babylon. I mean, that's just terrible. I mean, that is not an easy sermon to preach. Nobody wants to hear that. And so Israel ignored it, and they kept trying to lie. Well, let's think about Assyria and Egypt for a minute have you ever had a couple of friends in your life that you just had to get rid of at some point? That's Egypt and Assyria. They're not good friends. They're the guy, or maybe you, actually, I was one of those guys to someone in his life, unfortunately, but, but they were not the friends you wanted to have. They were the ones that were going to get you drunk. They were the ones that were going to leave you at the party. That's who they were. Assyria had destroyed the northern half of the nation of Israel. Egypt was in the future going to do battle and kill the best king Judah ever had, Josiah. God was telling them through Jeremiah, do not partner with these guys. Do not. They're not going to help you. They're not the kind of friends you need. And that was maybe the third bit of bad news, that they had to accept the consequences of their actions and no one was going to bail them out and there was nothing they could do about it and they were just supposed to submit and surrender to Babylon they didn't listen and he says in verse 19 for when you forsake the Lord your God it is how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of him. At the end of the day, the problem with Judah was not their God. It was their awe of God. It was the lack of awe of God. The word A-W-E. Short for awesome. Let's say it. Awe. They lacked awe for their own God. They didn't believe that he was the greater power. They thought Babylon was the greatest power. I have a little, I don't know what you call this, Uh, what's it called? Well, I know it's a snow globe. I mean, uh, uh, visual. Visual aid for you. I have a snow globe. Okay? I want you to imagine for a minute that your world is inside this snow globe and that I'm looking in at you or you're looking in at you. And then I want you to imagine that you're inside that snow globe and you're looking out at you or me looking in. Whoever image you want How big Is that guy out there God Is bigger than that No matter what Superlative you want to put on God He's more than that God is bigger Than peer pressure God is bigger than your fear. He's bigger than what you struggle with. He's bigger than, than the world around you that's, that's pushing its agenda on you. Whatever, whatever thing's causing you distress or trouble, God is bigger than that. It's as if he's looking down, holding the world in his hand. That's actually a description of God in the Bible, that he holds it in his hand. I want you to do me a favor. I don't do a lot of practicals, but I have a practical for you. This week, I want you to do something I've been doing for the past couple of weeks, and it's been great. I go out, and I'll take a walk, and I'll pray, and I imagine that I'm in the globe, and I'm looking up at the sky, and I can see God, and he fills the sky. He's not a little thing buzzing around up there. He fills the whole sky. And I just try to imagine it. I just have that visual in my mind when I'm praying and I'm walking. And you know what? After about a few minutes, I don't worry as much as I did when I started. I have a lot more confidence. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I don't walk on water. I haven't healed anybody, nothing like that. But I can tell you for that moment... I have perspective. And the perspective is that God is greater. Do you believe God is great? He's greater than your weakness. He's greater than your circumstance. Your sinful nature, your worst enemy, your worst fear. Do you believe he's greater? He's more. He's even greater than what you think is great. So I want to close with a little humor. We'll end it here. I think we need a motto. Let's make God great again. (laughs) Let's do it. Let's make God great again in our lives, not because he's not great, but because we struggle with believing how great he is. Let's make him great again. You want to know more about what it means to have a relationship it just takes the abcs admit believe and covenant with him we'd love to tell you more if you don't know talk to me my wife someone that invited you here we'd love to tell you more about how great our god really is let's go ahead and stand we're going to close out in a word of prayer father it's so awesome to be here So inspiring to think about how great you really are and help us to leave here Recognizing your greatness What might that do To our day, our agenda, our schedule, how we view problems, how we interact with each other I know it's life-changing I pray for your spirit to be with us. It's in Jesus name Amen. Amen. You are dismissed